0: Well, today's lesson is entitled very simply, Forgive and Forget. One of the uh, reasons that I'm motivated to give this lesson was uh, something that I've seen in the last couple of years, believe it or not, it's hard for some to believe this, but I've for about the last eight years, I've been involved in some couple and marriage counseling to some degree. And there's something that I, and I've not been a very good counselor, but in those processes, I've learned a lot about the ability to teach some of the things that i've learned in those sessions and this particular subject we're talking about i see a lot and this is not a marriage um lesson at all but i've learned a lot about two people that are supposed to forgive each other that there's something missing i see that for example you bring a couple in one of the first places that you will go with that couple is well we need to look at how we can forgive better and almost always both of them will say, oh, well, I've forgiven them. I'm not holding a grudge. And they're even pretty good about articulating their grudge in a way that sounds like it's for their benefit. But after they tell me all about the, uh, the forgiveness is down pat, you would think I'd get all excited and go, wow, we just skipped 12 steps right there. We're ready to get into the meat of this, this problem. Only to be followed up with the next hour of them both expressing all the problems that they have with the other person. That's clearly coming from, a, we'll say, a motivation of unforgiveness. So I don't think that they're liars, per se. I don't think they're saying when they, when they say, I have forgiven my wife, I have forgiven my husband. I don't think they're in the back going, oh, I hope he doesn't catch me. I think they believe it. The problem is they haven't. And I think that there's a missing part of the equation in what we would normally call forgiveness that's not there in a lot of Christians' life. And today I want to look at that other part of the equation, which is the forget part. And I can promise you 100% of the time, this is not a, a conversation, I've had this many, many times. And in the last 10 years of my life of conversations about whether or not we should, what forget means when it comes to forgive and forget, only one person that I'm aware of that ever entertained forgetting being a possible application to the forgiving process. Everyone else says that forgiving can take place without the forgetting. So let's get right into it. That's the motivation behind this is I want to uh, hopefully establish the other part of the equation so that we can have the full benefit from forgiving. It doesn't do us any good just to eat the dessert if we can't get the benefits from the full meal, I want everyone to get the full meal because with the full meal, we get freedom. Everyone heard of the child stories that we tell about, you know, someone being locked in prison and all the, you know, you're the one that's going to be freed if you forgive. All those are good. But if you cannot achieve true forgiveness, you don't get the benefit from it. And so that's my purpose here today. If some of the things that I say are, seem judgmental or hit close to home, I promise you, that's not my intent. My intent is to get everyone that I can to be able to find the full benefit of forgiveness. Well I need to build a foundation before we get into the forgetting part. And the foundation that I would like to build is how forgiveness and Christianity intertwine. Can we be a Christian and can we be a Christian and have the choice? Is forgiveness just an option for Christians, or is forgiveness something that literally is what Christianity is all about? And so to begin that off, I want to turn to Galatians chapter 5. I have a lot of verses, so I have typed out most of them for time purposes, so I don't keep you here till past dinner. And uh, so... That, that's what I have. So I'm going to be kind of quick about this, but you're more than welcome to try to turn in your Bibles and keep up with me. But in Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 19, we have read, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adulteries, fornication, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulence, emulization, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envying, murder, drunkenness, rivaling, and such like... Of these which I tell you before, as I have also told you in times past, that they which do these things shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. So this verse is is a salvation verse. This verse is a Christian or not Christian verse. And in here we have at least three, wrath, strife, and hatred, that cannot exist with a forgiving heart. You can't hate someone if you forgive them. You can't have wrath, which is a product of hate, if you're forgiven, and you can't have strife if you're forgiven. And then it says such like. So we could put a lot more words in there to describe something that could not be possible if we have forgiveness. So it says that if you have these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now that doesn't mean if you struggle with these things. It's talking about if this is your lifestyle and you're comfortable with it and you're all right with all this stuff, this is a mark that you are not a Christian. So I I hope I'm not overstepping my bounds if I say, well, it looks like to me that there is some evidence that to be a Christian, we can't have the product of unforgiveness. And if we moved on in these verses, we'd see the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, all gentleness, all you'll see in the fruit of the Spirit also could not take place if you have unforgiveness, but require forgiveness for them to truly be A fruit. Now the fruit of the spirit is not something that you do. It's something that is produced in you because you possess God. So if I I mean, I can only fake love and joy for so long, but if you truly have joy, then you can't have a bitter heart. If you have a bitter heart, you can't fully be loving. If you have a bitter heart, you can't fully be free to have joy. And I promise you, if you've ever seen someone who's carrying bitterness for a lifetime, they are, they are scrunched over and weighed down. They do not have peace. They may claim peace. They may find peace in the bottle. But they are not truly free and peaceful people. So there's my first piece of evidence that perhaps Christianity and forgiveness go hand in hand. Let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter six. We'll just jump in at verse 14. It says, for if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men your trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Now this comes in the wake of the Lord's prayer that we're all very familiar with. The disciples ask Jesus, how do we pray? And he gives an example. And even in that prayer, we've we know very well the words, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So the first question I have to ask is the prayer that Christ gave us an example, was that an example for everybody or just his people or his saved chosen people? It's for the saved. I don't think that is a prayer that an unsaved person should be praying. It's an intimate prayer to our father in heaven. It's a prayer to the saints. And it requires that we forgive others as he forgives us. And then right after that prayer, he goes straight into the, the verse that I just read. That if you forgive, I will forgive too. But if you don't forgive, that the Father in heaven will not forgive your trespasses as well. Now that does bring up a little bit of a question mark that we're going to get into a little bit what that exactly means. But I think if we look at the parable... Of Matthew chapter it, that we find in Matthew chapter 18 about the servant that is forgiven the great debt and then immediately afterwards goes to his buddy that owes him 15 bucks after he'd just been let off the hook by millions. He decides, What's, you need to pay up that $15. And despite the fact that the, uh, the rich man let him loose of his great debt, he could not find the forgiveness to let the $15 go. And so we jump into that story. I don't want to spend too much time reading that whole thing, but we jump into the story there at verse number 34 of Matthew chapter 18. We see the end result of that parable. And that is, And his Lord was wrath, and delivered him unto the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also to you, if ye from your hearts forgive not, everyone his brother their trespasses now we have from Matthew 6 and from Matthew 18 a scenario that almost kind of looks like salvation and forgiving are tied very close together i think there's when we look at the we'll say the parable at least and i think this parable and the verses there in Matthew chapter 6 verse 14 forgive your, if you forgive, God will forgive you. If you don't forgive, God will not forgive you. There's really only three basic ways that I'm familiar with that we could interpret this. The first one is, those verses are saying, including the, the parable, putting them together, that um, forgiveness that is being spoken of here is separate from the forgiveness found in the grace of salvation, that you're forgiven, you can be saved. Now you can also have an unforgiving issue while you're in this world and still be a Christian. Now I've, I, in the past, I think that I kind of leaned towards that direction, trying to reconcile that you can't lose your salvation. So what is all this forgiving and can't be saved? The other one is just that, that you can lose your salvation due to unforgiveness. I think the first one has some, Validity, obviously I I lean towards it for a a while. The second one I do not think fits scripture. Scripture does not teach that salvation is something that you can retain and lose and gain back again based on your behavior. That would be salvation by works, not salvation by grace. The third one is is that what we're actually seeing is, is that Christ is bringing out that hardened hearts, people that refuse to forgive, were never saved to begin with. That it's a fruit that indicates that their salvation just, it was, it was just not true. Now, I don't say any of this to come down on someone who may have some bitterness issues. In fact, I would go so far as to say that it's difficult in this day and age for pre- pre- preachers to really call out the truth because we're afraid we're going to offend people. And, and I'm kind of a straightforward shooting guy. But nonetheless I suffer with that as well. I, I don't want to offend anyone. I don't want to run anyone off. I don't want someone to dislike me. I don't want them to talk bad about me on the internet. But the truth of the matter is saying that giving evidence that you might not be saved is different than me saying you can't be saved. And I'm not and I have never and I'd hope to never to say that you can't be saved. But I don't think that it's inappropriate for me to call out evidence that perhaps we haven't been as responsive to the calling of the Holy Spirit as we could have, and we might not be saved at this time. And I don't mean to offend you, but if that's where it lays, it's, I'm not saying that you can't be saved. I'm saying let's get together and get it done. So regardless of which direction you go on this, taking the second one out, we can lose our salvation. I do think that these verses, even if we don't truly understand what they're saying, that they are saying that our eternal life and forgiveness do kind of run hand in hand. That our heart condition for Christ is parallel to our ability to forgive. And that unforgiveness doesn't run in line with the idea of being saved. Also, I'd like to look at the verse, maybe kind of tie all this together. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, we have a statement. And Jesus says, For I say unto you, that except the righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Again, another salvation verse. This is not a salvation by works. It's simply, I think, I think this verse helps us to see that the wording in the verses that we just previously read can indicate that it might be a precursor issue rather than I can lose and go back and forth, that it may be that you just don't have salvation to start with. And so what does it mean that the righteousness, shall will the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees? Well, the scribes and Pharisees were really good at following rules. And to, to some extent, a very large extent actually, they were very good at keeping God's law. They also kept extra laws that they made up and told that God gave it to them and all that. So they had a lot of issues, but they were good about keeping the rules. And they at least expressed from their mouth that they were doing it because they thought that was the godly thing to do. Now God's calling us, Christians, the saints, to do more than that. So it's a hard issue. God is interested in what we do, but he's also interested in the motivation that comes from what we do. And the scribes and Pharisees' motivation to keep God's law was self. It was focused on what they got out of it. And he's calling us to go a step further. So again, I, I add this in there that 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 there may, that forgiveness needs to be more than just saying, hey, I forgive you. We've got to go deeper. We've got to go to the heart. It's a heart issue. Well, real quick, let's go to Luke chapter 6. We have an example of what God says Christianity looks like Luke chapter 6 we'll start in verse number 27 but I say unto you that which hear love your enemies do good to them which hate you bless them that curse you pray for them which despitefully use you all this is going to require a level of forgiveness and unto him that smite thee on the cheek offer the other some of these words that I'm reading here I hope you can retain because they're going to make more sense the further I get through this Give to every man that asketh of thee, and to him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. For if ye love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those who love them. If ye do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same." And if ye lend to them, which whom ye hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners, to receive as much again. But love ye ye your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil." So that's all I want to spend in this little area. But hopefully I have built a foundation that the profession of Christianity to claim that I am a saint, that I that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, I believe that we have shown evidence that forgiveness must be part of that person's life. And that to say that, well, I don't have to forgive everyone, there's always this you know unique circumstance. I don't think that what I just read there from Luke chapter six, they, they pin down a lot of stuff right there that the average person would say, well, what about this situation? Well, God said, "Lend them again and don't expect anything back. What about this situation? Turn the other cheek. What about that situation? It, It just keeps coming back again and again and again. And if we had time, we could go through scripture ad infinitum of the scripture that tells us that it's really not about us. In this world, but it's about our opportunity to serve God, and I think that's where unforgiveness really takes its root. Is that an unforgiving spirit is almost playing God? It requires that I can judge what needs to be forgiven and what not. I get to play God in that area. It's also a uh, a spirit of rebellion. If if, if we're Christians, and the Scripture is saying that if you're a Christian, you got to be forgiving. And I say, well, I'm not going to really forgive. Now, I'm not saying you won't struggle with this. My goodness, I struggle with it. And I've actually had a lot of experience with forgiveness, and I still struggle with it. It, We're always going to struggle with it, and hopefully that's just a sign of the fallen world. But that's not an excuse to say, well, I'm just not going to forgive. And that's really what I'm talking about here today. I'm not talking about someone who sits there and it takes a week to get over an offense, Hopefully that's not you, but if it is, as long as you're working towards every day getting over that offense, then you're, you're in good, good company. But those who say, you know what, I hate you and I like hating you and I don't want to forgive you, I would say that we're, we're looking at a, an issue with their, their heart as far as salvation. Sure. Now, let's turn to the Bible. I got one little more foundation that I, well, not maybe a foundation piece, but just something I want to touch base on before we get into the forget part. Let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, we see a little uh, situation here where where Peter is is obviously confused about forgiveness. So he asked Jesus, and we read, Then came Peter unto him, Jesus, and said, Lord, how oft should my brother sin against me? And I forgive him till seven times. Now you can tell that he's been married, I think. This is evidence because he's having repeat offenses. And Jesus says unto him, I say unto you, unto thee, until seven times, but until 70 times seven. Now we're all familiar with these verses. I'm not trying to sneak in some new new idea or theology here. But I want to look at this a little bit. And first off, I like to look at this from the reverse effect. Well, I think it's pretty straightforward that God is Jesus is literally telling Peter that there is no limit to the amount of times that we're going to forgive. It, it, that's what's being said. And if you struggle with that, then you can come and talk to me afterwards. But uh, this is just a, a, you know, a funny way that Jesus communicates and saying, listen, it's not seven times. You just forgive them until you're dead. But let's look at this for the benefit of those who are on the other side of this scenario. And I believe this is talking about brothers, it's not talking about the world. Now, it, you, this principle may apply to the world, but if you're, if you're having this issue with someone in the world, you may need to question, unless it's a work environment situation, why am I still hanging around with this person? We just heard this morning that we are to be separate, be separate, come out from among them. So this this plays into your success with forgiveness. If you're hanging around with people that are constantly going to offend you. You know, if you hang out with the world, there's no question the world's going to hate you. I worked in the world for many years. I worked here locally for 10 years. uh, So it was like in the community. So they knew more about me than when I go on, you know, a job site or something 200 miles away. No one knows who the Church of Israel is. But here locally they know me. So they, they, on one hand, they seem, well, they're, they're pretty friendly people. But behind the scenes... They didn't like me at all. And I knew that. And it would come up from time to time where I'd be able to figure it out. And they were cordial and professional. And that was good. Professional to a point. But uh, they didn't like me. And they didn't like me because of what I believed. And they didn't like me because of where I went to church. And that's okay. But I didn't need to be trying to be their buddy all the time. And sure, yeah, if I, I kept being, buddying up against them saying, hey, we'll be friends. And they're like, oh, then they say something mean. And I'm like, well, that offends me. Well, I'll forgive you. And then the next week, it's like, hey, let's go to a barbecue, you know? And then they say some more stuff that offends me. And it's like, oh, I've got to forgive them. But why am I even in that environment? So I say your success with forgiveness can be significantly increased if we make sure that we're in the right circles. Now I got a little sidetrack there. So the other opposite side of 70 times 7. If you are that person that continually pokes the bear whenever you get a chance. Now, this will play out, I think, pretty obvious, we'll say in a marriage situation, where it's a lot of repetitive forgiving that takes place inside of a home. Would, I have an agreement on that, especially between a husband and a wife. And it'll actually take place between children and children, and even between parents and children. But I say that that husband and wife relationship are unique, that there can be almost non-stop offenses. In fact, it's not uncommon in counseling for a group of people to come in and and, and say, I I just can't take it anymore. And you just ask the first simple question. It says, well, why why are you so angry at your special someone? It's Not uncommon for them to say, I don't know. And they're not being dishonest because they don't have a single reason that matches their emotional feelings. I mean, sometimes it is absolute despite. I'm desp- I despise that person sitting next to me. In fact, I don't even want to sit next to him. I want to sit in the other chair over there. But then when you ask them why, they're like, well, nothing, one thing has happened in my life with that person that would really equal this amount of hate and contempt. But what it is, it's small things that have never been let go. And they build in a big thing. So it starts out with the toothpaste lift being let off. And then the toilet paper is put on the wrong, which is no excuse for that. There's only one way to put the toilet paper roll on and it just, it needs to be done right. And then you have the toilet left up and then you have, oh, you left the curtain open or the AC's too high or the heat's too low. And all these things begin to irritate you. You cook the food too much. You didn't cook the food enough. You didn't cook food at all. All these things begin to add up. You didn't cook food on time. You forgot my anniversary. You forgot... My birthday. I'm guilty of that. Thank God for a forgiving wife. Well, one by themselves, they're not worth hate and contempt. But when you add them all together, they become a monster. And so that's why it's important that we forgive continuously, especially these little things. Get them in and get them out and be done with them and move on so they don't build up. But if you happen to be that person that is always needing forgiveness, I think it's fair that I I at least put this out there, that if you're, uh, let's use gossip as an example. If you're a gossiper, I I have a particular person in my life that's followed me around for about 15 years of my life, that is not every week, but every once in a while, a crazy story will come up about me, and then it'll get source bass to this individual, and they're behind the scenes talking about me, and so forth and so on. It is really, really irritating. It is, you know, I I don't like it. In fact, of all the offenses that I've had in my life, that one seems to really the old motions pretty quick. Nonetheless, you got to forgive and move on. But from that other perspective, if we're the gossiper, if we're the one going around stirring up trouble all the time, we can't expect that there's not going to be a change in the way people treat us. So if people begin to avoid you, or well, they don't want to sit with you at the potluck or they quit calling you on your birthday, or don't say hi to you on Facebook, or whatever else it might be, you might think, well, that person doesn't like me anymore. (laughs) Well, that may be true, but it's, it's more your fault than it is theirs. And so we need to be responsible on our side as well to make sure we're not the one going around causing offenses that need to be forgiven all the time. And if... If we are, we need to understand that there's consequences that come down the line. I mean, we we can apply this to the marriage. That's kind of what we open it up to. If you're a, a, you know, a husband that has trouble with putting the toothpaste lid back on, that's one thing. But if you are constantly calling your wife mean names, don't expect her to be real loving and and, um, respectful. And if you're a lady and and you disrespect your husband all this time, don't expect him to be loving and excited about providing for you. There's the natural consequence. It doesn't mean the other person still shouldn't forgive you, but it's still important that we recognize that if we do things that need forgiveness all the time, it's probably going to affect our lives in a negative way. And so we should avoid that. Now let's turn to um, Luke chapter 17 real quick. We have kind of a, a scenario here that sometimes people use as an excuse not to need to forgive. Let's, uh, well, let's just jump in at verse number one. Then said he unto the disciples, It is impossible, but the offense will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. If it were, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea, then that he should offend one of these little ones take heed to yourself. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, seven times in a day, turn again to thee saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Now I want to look at this whole, here's the the angle that sometimes is, is taken. Well, I don't have to forgive if he doesn't repent. Because that's, that's kind of what's being indicated here. Saying if he trespass against thee seven times, and then seven times in a day comes to you again and says, I'm sorry, okay, I'm going to try to do something different, then you should forgive him. I do not think this verse is looking at the total scope of forgiveness. I think it's looking at one little direct area. For example, the Bible says that I'm to be loving to my wife. That doesn't mean, in and we'll say, the opposite is, is that I should be unkind to all other women. And that, I think, is the, the perspective that we get if we say, well, this is saying I don't have to forgive unless they repent. Now we're, we're narrowing in on something unique. And here's what I think is unique. Unless you've experienced this, it may not pop out to you. But well, there's a whole nother another level to this, and part of it is the rebuke, and we're going to look at that in just a second. But imagine, it's one thing if someone trespasses, like I said, the, the gossiper. They talk about you, and then you don't hear anything from them, and then it's like, okay, I've got to get over that. And then you have to do it again and again and again, and after a while, you start getting good at it, and it's just like, well, that's just who they are, and this is who I am, and are just going to have to live this way. This brings a whole nother aspect, almost to a point that might almost seem psychotic, so imagine that person a person gossip, we'll just use that since we're on it. So you get a phone call, hey Nathan, they said this about you, what's this all about? And you're like, well, I didn't do any of that. What are you talking about? I said, Well, this person said such and such, and I'm like, okay, so you called the other person that's gossiping. I said, why are you saying all this stuff about me? I said, I don't know. I said, Well, stop it. You hang the phone up on them. And then about an hour later, they call back and say, Listen, I'm sorry, the things I said were untrue, and I don't know why I said that. I really love you, brother. Will you forgive me? All right, according to the Bible, we got to forgive them. That's easy. In fact, that's really easy. It's one thing to forgive them for doing something without an apology, but when apology comes, it makes it that much easier. But then a few hours go by, another person calls you up. And says, hey Nathan, I heard this about you. I said, what, where'd you get that? Oh, so-and-so said so, same person. So you call that person up and say, hey, listen, you're just talking about me again. He says, oh, I am? He says, quit doing it. And you hang the phone up on him. He said, in a few hours, I'm gonna forgive that person, but right now I'm gonna stew on it for a minute. Then you get a phone call. It's that person again. Hey, listen. You know what? You're right. I shouldn't be gossiping about you. I need to keep my mouth shut and stay out of your business. I'm sorry that I did that. Please forgive me. All right. Uh, okay, I forgive you. Hang the phone up. Next day, get another phone call. Hey, Nathan. Guess what they're saying about you? <laughs> Same person. <laughs> call him up again. Okay. Uh, why are you still talking about me? And says, I don't know. Okay, quit doing it. And you hang the phone up. And then he called back a few hours later. Says, listen, I'm sorry. That's going to actually add a whole nother aspect to the forgiveness thing, because now you've got to deal with a guy that doesn't really seem very sincere, almost as if he's lying to you. I don't know, maybe he has a problem or not. But nonetheless, it's going to actually become very difficult. It's going to be easier to forgive them if they just keep the phone hung up than to forgive them as he goes. So you see where I'm going with the story, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. The scripture is, is saying that even if someone continues to repent in, we'll say, less than a sincere way, that we're still to forgive them. That doesn't mean that if they don't repent, we don't forgive them. It's just saying that even if they repent and it doesn't seem like they really mean it, we should still forgive them as well. It's just a whole other aspect. Now let's look at the rebuke aspect. It says rebuke him. And if you repent, forgive him. Again, this doesn't mean that if he doesn't repent, if you don't forgive him, it's just saying that there's a whole other aspect here that we need to look at real quick. And this rebuke part, let's start out in Galatians chapter um, 6 verse. First, we'll start in verse one. It's important that we understand what rebuke means. Rebuke is, well, basically calling them out. We're calling them out on what they did wrong. Now, that's okay if we do it right. It's not okay if we don't have the right heart attitude. Again, it's all about our heart. The Pharisees can say and do the right things, but they don't do it for the right reason. God needs the right motivation for doing this. So here's the motivation that we should have when we rebuke. A person that has wronged us. Brethren, if a man have over, is, be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Key word there is restore. The only purpose that we have to go and call someone out for their sin, if it's against you, is if you have the heart to help them. Now, I can tell you right off the bat, if you're not forgiven that person, you're not going to have a motivation to help them. So If you're angry at someone who's wronged you and you claim to be a Christian, you need to stay away from that person. That's just my personal opinion. But you're not going to do anything to help them, and you're definitely not going to do anything to help you. And it's just going to be a witch hunt to make you feel better. And in the long run, it won't. But if we also turn to uh, Matthew chapter 18, we've been there once already with, with Peter. And Peter's little story came after Matthew chapter 18. We see in verse number 15, and we, I know we're familiar, this is the process in which we work out our problem. But it does seem like this first verse interpretation gets watered down to such a point that it really means if you've got a problem, you go and, get it, you go and force them to get it fixed. But let's read it again. It said, Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, it says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee. okay. first thing we can learn from this verse is, is that they've got to do something against you. Someone who's having an affair down the street may not make you happy. But if it's not with your wife, they haven't really done an offense against you. So to get all fired up and want to start, you know, keying his car and breaking windows out in the back and everything else to get his attention. Because he's doing something that is obviously wrong, but he has not wronged you. He's wronged others. They, they can take this up. This process starts with an offense against you. And I think that's important because imagine if God let it loose to the point that it says, hey, if you just feel offended, you got this, I mean <laughs> we, we would all we wouldn't have time to work, let alone sleep. Amen. All right, so moreover, if a trespass against thee, now it does happen. People sometimes do things to you that are wrong. And need to be now sometimes it could be something that you should let go pretty quick. But sometimes it might be, let's say, a man is hitting on my wife and sits down in the potluck and puts his arm around her. That might need to be addressed. Okay, it's not something we just say, hey, I forgive you, and we'll 70 times 7, I've got a couple hundred more to go, honey. Hang in there, I think it's going to work out in the long run. No, I've got to intervene. Forgiveness does not remove the consequences of actions. I was just talking earlier to someone today that, you know, the Amish. The Amish, have; a, they take this to the point that if someone breaks into their house and hurts their children or their wife, that they're to just stand there and, and I guess, pray. And that for the forgiveness is so instantaneous that they're going to watch their livelihood and their, those who were put in their care be hurt and destroyed. You come into my house and try to rob me or hurt my wife and children, I'm going to shoot you dead. Okay, That doesn't mean that I'm bitter towards you. Doesn't mean that I'm mad at you; just means that you've done something that requires an action on my part that you're probably not going to be real happy with. So I don't want to take this so far as to say that this whole forgiveness thing means that we're just to completely lay down and be weak. But and also it comes back to it's it's really a, a church and family and we'll say brothers and sisters in Christ scenario whenever you discuss this particular subject they always want to first thing you want to do is shoot out into the world well what if this happened out here what if this person does this but the reality is the offenses that we're going to have and this is really important the offenses that we're going to have inside of we'll say a church body which includes friends family and loved ones and brothers and sisters in Christ they're going to be pretty insignificant I'd say, there's not going to be stabbings, there's not going to be, you know, keying the car, that's happened, but that really, to me, but that that wasn't even someone inside my my church body, that was the world. You're going to have these weird things that happen to you in the world, but they're normally isolated, and once the law takes its process, you probably won't ever see them again. But yet, these are the excuses that we have, well, I can't forgive, because this, this potential situation out in the world might happen. Well, let me tell you what happens inside of a church. You sometimes get called bad names. I've already talked about gossip. That happens a lot. Um, sometimes people don't want to talk to you. Sometimes they won't like your stuff on Facebook. These are the things. It's not like you're nailed to a cross. You just have to forgive offenses of interpersonal relationship issues. All right. They sin against you. Go tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained a brother. There's the, there's the key right there. Restoration, gaining a brother. We're restoring this person. We're going to him and saying, I want to help you. We don't rebuke someone. We just saw right here in Luke chapter 17, where it says, rebuke him if he repent, forgive. That doesn't mean we hold him down with a fist over him saying, buddy, you've got about three seconds to get this Right. And if you say, I'm, I'm sorry, then we're good. If not, we're going to have trouble. That's not the process that we're talking about here. We're talking about literally, and it almost requires a forgiveness ahead of time. When it says rebuke, you need to automatically have that hard attitude that says, okay, you know, your hand around my wife, I, I know how it makes me feel, but the end is, you know, that's, that's a really stupid thing to do inside of a church. You've got a problem. You do. I mean, that's, you've got a moral problem. And I've, I've, I've known some people that have moral issues so great, that they don't see it as a moral issue. I mean, they'll come up to you and say, hey, check that out. And I'm like, I just gave a sermon 10 minutes ago and you're at, what is wrong with you? They don't see that they're doing anything wrong. I need to help that person, not try to hurt him and... And whatever the things that I could do. And I know the natural responses for a man hitting on your wife. And again, if it goes too far, too fast in the right environment, I might have to step in a little harsher than he wants. But I don't have to hate him. It's not, it's, it's a, it is merely taking care of an issue. And then later, we can work it out. All right. Now let's look at the definition of forgiveness from God's word because now we're gonna get into the root of things. So traditionally, traditionally, forgetting has always been made an excuse that I get. And like I said, I've had many, many conversations, sometimes in big groups. Well, group of five or six, big to me. And out of the 10 years, one person has indicated that forgetting might be an important process. So That tells me that forgetting is an issue for most people to really accept. Yet, I think that's the part of the equation that is causing people to miss out on the full aspect of the freedom that comes from forgiveness. So I think the first place we need to do before I intercede my personal opinion about forgetting and forgetting is, what would our, what is, what is how does God see his forgiveness towards us? So, Psalm chapter 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Now, for you flat earthers, this verse is not going to make much sense. But for the rest of us, this uh, this wording, far from the east is from the west. If I start walking north, what will I eventually hit? The north pole. Then what will I be doing? If I kept walking? i would be going south. Now, the east from the west is different. If I start walking east... Will I ever run into the west? No, I can keep going east for the rest of my life. That is how far our sins are removed from us. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. Blot out. If I understand it correctly, it's great. It basically takes... You didn't have erasers back then, so they would take ink and cover up what was written down so that you could not see it, could not read it. Jeremiah 31, 34, and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, for the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, I will forgive their iniquities, and I will remember their sin no more Acts chapter 3 verse 19 repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out and when the time of refreshing shall come from the repentance of the Lord again the blotting out is to remove the ability to see what it was Colossians 2:14 blotting out the handwriting of the ordinance that was against us this is talking about our sin which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, blotting out the record of our sin to where it cannot be seen. Then we have Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17. And their sin and iniquity will I, God, remember no more. And then we even have one here from Paul referencing a more personal level, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do: forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Even our own sins, our own mistakes—it does us no good. A lot of people really struggle with forgiving themselves. It does us no good to hold on to the things that we've done in the past. One, as as Paul is bringing out, that it will it will restrict my ability. I need to look towards the future, Jesus said, putting thy hand to the plow. A man that looketh back is not, is not what he's looking for. Again, we have a confirmation here. But also, it, the same principle, I think, plays out in these verses that I just read. That the relationship that God would have with us. Now, I, I, we've got some deep thinkers here and some deep thinkers online that are probably watching. I would submit that a judge... That is standing before a guilty. We'll say we're the guilty and he's sitting there and he's looking at everything and it says guilty 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 okay and he's got this list of crimes. He sees it and he looks at me and he's getting ready to pass judgment and I pull out this receipt. Hold on someone already paid these 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 sins these crimes. Now he might be forced because the law is legal it says okay It paid up. I guess you're free to go. You think I'm going to be buddies with that judge? I mean, he knows what I did. I'm a bad guy. But I just got off the hook because someone paid the price already. Let's apply that on a more spiritual level. On Judgment Day, and I don't know how all the details of this, I just know what Scripture teaches. And this is what Scripture teaches. Is that God's going to look at my record. Now, if according to scripture, it's been blotted out. So when God, the judge on that great day looks at my record, he's going to see things that I did. And then he's going to see this, we'll say this redacted area. You ever, ever seen a paper that's redacted? Okay. So he's going to have this big old redacted area. And then he's going to see, oh, he did all this. And he's going to go say, all right, well, some of these things are really good. I'm going to go ahead and put that to your account. And some of these things weren't the greatest. So you're not going to get as much. But this one, oh, that's a good one. I'll give you that one there. And I'm going to walk away, not only receiving only for what I did good, but I'm going to have a good relationship with him because he doesn't see all the bad things that I did. Does that make sense? And that's really what this is all about, our relationship with God. I do not think, based on what I'm reading here, and you guys can correct me here in a little bit, can we really have a good relationship with our Father in heaven if the price that has been paid in full is the only thing we have to get out of it, but he still is fully aware of all the bad things I'm doing. No, he's blotting them out so we can have that free relationship. Now, let's apply that to you and me. That's really what this is about. I will never be able to have a good relationship with someone that has offended me if I'm constantly thinking about it. it doesn't matter how many times I say, oh, I forgive him. I'm a better person than he is. I'll go ahead and let this one go. But I'm going to spend an hour down in my shop talking about him. If I see him again, he does that again. This is what I'm going to say this time. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I, we're cool. Yeah, we're good just stay away phone rings oh it's him again oh I don't know if I can keep it together that's the relationship that you'll have if we only focus on saying I forgive you I forgive you I don't think that goes to the heart now we do have an example in here in Scripture that will help us see what God, I mean, we've, we've already seen some. But let's turn to Ephesians. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 32. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. This is what I think unforgetting unfor- and forgetting the combination of two may look like. Okay, we have forgiving one another, but we have this be kind to one another. And it says, and tenderhearted. You can't have that with bitterness. And bitterness, we'll say, is the end result of an unforgiving heart. And you can have a lot of bitterness over a lot of different things. It's not just one, one disease. It's, a, it's a, 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 lots of disease. You get one little area fixed. And I'll tell you, fixing things early on. Is way easier than waiting 10, 15 years and you have 30 or 40 things that have really become pretty big in your life and you've got to go back and undo them. It will be an enlightening time in your life, no question about it, but it will be very difficult. So God, this is what God calls us what it looks like. Matthew chapter uh, 5 verse 38. Ye have heard it was said, it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you. That ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him another also. You have to be in a pretty, I I, I don't want to demonstrate this, but a demonstration would probably really bring it home. Now this smiting is not talking about a closed fist trying to knock you out. This is a scenario back in the day where you would show disrespect to someone. In fact, I I even think even in European cultures, they used to take the glove off and they would slap you in the face. Okay, and That was it. Well, this, this is a similar situation. They'd come up and they would just backhand you and let you know that they think that you're nothing but trash. You have to be in a really good state of mind to be able to say, hmm, yep, you don't like me, you think I'm trash, and I feel pain in my cheek. And then to turn the other side and say, go ahead and give me one more. Boy, that's, that, yeah. I, I, I think... You can't fake that. You can fake saying, I forgive that person. Just don't bring them around me. But to be able to turn that cheek, that's only a truly that this is what God calls us to look like. May not happen tomorrow, may not happen in a month from now, but this I think should be our end goal when it says forgive and forget. You have to have a mentality that is able to go down this road that you can turn the other cheek, whatever that might symbolize in our modern world today. Now, let's talk about the little aspect of forgetting. Because the biggest thing is, is, well, how do you forget? You can't forget. Well, I'm not saying that forgetting is Saying that you go so far like a lobotomy or something to where if you're called to testify on something that happened 10 years ago, that you're up on the stand going, man, I really don't remember. I've forgiven and forgotten. That's, that's not what this means. It means that we wipe the slate clean and we push it out of our minds to where we don't think about it anymore. And when we run into that person again, as hard as it may be, we shouldn't be immediately triggered by the idea. Oh, I remember you. You're the person who did that. Okay? It doesn't mean that you can't go back in history. And if you try hard enough and say, yeah, I remember a time or such and such. He came up and slapped me with a glove. I remember that. But I'm talking about just putting it out of our thoughts, putting it out of our our thinking. And this is a choice. This is not as hard as you might think. Sometimes I forget where my tape measure is, and it's like 18 inches away from me. And you're telling me, oh, I can't forgive an offense. I can forgive an offense. I forget the tape measure because I move on to other things. Does that make sense? I'm giving you a little psychology here. Because I move on to other things and I'm no longer thinking about the tape measure, it is possible for me to literally walk everywhere to my shop except where I left the tape measure because I've forgotten about it. You, can you relate to that? So this is a choice. We can choose to push things out of our minds. So when you're sitting there in your work area or whatever and typing up a something or other, And that thought comes into your head, oh, I remember what such and such did. You have a choice. It's a crossroad in that moment. You have a choice to say, I'm going to continue to think about this. I'm going to continue to invest in it. I might even talk to myself a little bit in front of the computer and then others will say, you all right? Yeah, I'm fine. Just Forgiven over here. Or you have the choice of saying, I'm not going to think about it. If it's a really big offense and you're not really good at it yet, you might have to say to yourself, I'm not gonna think about that. I've forgiven him, I'm going to put it away. You can do that. You can turn it into the tape measure. Now I'm gonna give you a little a little key for success here. A little counseling, just for a moment. When we say, I'm not going to think about something, it's kind of like an addiction. When you're addicted to something, you're not going to have success by saying, I'm not going to smoke that cigarette anymore. And if someone in here smokes, I apologize, not offending, you need to quit. But it doesn't do you any good to sit there. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it because the only thing I'm thinking about is cigarettes. (laughs) Addictions find their success in taking the space in which the addiction took in their life and replacing it with something else. And with cigarettes, you'll see it's gum and things like that. There's better things to replace that time with, but that's, what, that's why you see them chewing 20 packs of gum in church. It's because they're replacing that time that they normally would be smoking cigarettes. Now, let's apply this to us as far as forgiving and forgetting. Pushing that thought out. We can't sit there and say, I'm not going to be mad at, at John Deere. But, it won't work. I could say, hmm, I will think about something else. Now, there's a plethora of things that you guys can think about and Philippians chapter 4 is very very clear in that little and I think that's one of the most psychologically advanced verses in scripture think on these things whatsoever things think on these things but here's something that I found that works really well for me memory verses Not just, and and, and having memory verses and thinking about verses, that does, but I find that sometimes I can almost say verses that I know really well, and I can put them in the back of my head, and then I can bring some of these other thoughts up to the front of my head, and then I find myself sitting there talking to myself about this person that I forget. Or maybe I haven't. But memorizing verses requires your intent attention what I've done is I, I take like a sticky note and I will hand write out a verse or two and I just keep it in my pocket and then I will try to say it in my head and when I get stuck I'll, I'll stop and take my glass safety glasses off and go okay uh, yeah, oh yeah that's it and I'll go I'm telling you what you'd be surprised you'll be looking up the clock and be like oh it's dinner time I've filled my mind with something better than filling it with the bitterness that I'm stirring about somebody else with memory verses So I'm not saying that's not the only one, but I I do think that memory verses have a very unique application to helping us replace our thoughts with something that is not going to damage you. I'm going to skip a little stuff here because we're about to run out of time. Let me see if I can find some highlights here. Um, I think the idea of Not forgetting that concept that, well, if I forget, I might put myself in a dangerous situation. That's futuristic thinking. That's thinking that says, I really don't know if that person's going to try to... I'm not sure I can come up with a a scenario. Uh, Someone tries to stab me on the street. That's pretty dangerous. All right, so you say, well, you got to forgive and forget. Okay, well that's futuristic thinking. I don't know that I'll ever see that person again. And see, that's the excuse that we have where I'm sitting there in the shop going, and I get it. That's a very intense thing that would happen to somebody. I've actually, well, that's another story. I won't go into that. Okay. It's an intense experience that will happen to you. It's not something you're going to want to get away with. In fact, you're going to have emotions that are very negative, And we're going to talk about that here in a minute. And people that have negative emotions or emotions that they don't like emotions in, of themselves are not bad but we do have emotions that we don't like like being sad but a big one is fear no one likes to be afraid especially a big old burly man I ain't gonna scare me so what we do is is we take that fear that we hate that just just happened I'm, and now I'm, I'm scared to go out the door or someone's gonna stab me very intense thing and when we cover it up what's called a secondary emotion anyone heard of that no? Oh, okay. Well, here we go. Secondary emotion is an emotion that we would rather experience than the real force of our feelings. And nine out of 10 times, that emotion is anger. So we become angry. We're not really angry. We just don't want to deal with how we are feeling. And we're going to talk about that real quick. But because of that, I bec- that anger makes me feel good. Anger is a very unique thing. It stimulates chemicals in your body that make you feel powerful. And if you're dealing with fear, oh, I'd much rather feel like, oh, I'd take on anyone right now. Come on. Than feel like, oh, I'm going to get stabbed again today. Okay, so we, we get fear. So we, we, we take on this, these, these feelings. And we begin to justify, I don't want to get rid of this. And so I'm talking sometimes we drag this on for years, perhaps even our entire life. It's possible over one traumatic experience. And then if someone like me comes along and says, hey, I, I've got the answer to your problem. You need to forgive this guy and let it go. You need to wipe the slate clean. You need to forget about it. And he goes, oh, no. He could do it again. I'm not going to let him back into my life. Well, when was the last time you saw him? Twelve years ago you're never going to see him again. So we got to watch this futuristic thinking that, well, this may repeat itself when the truth of the matter is it may be very isolated and never come your way again. Um, yeah, I think the idea of, uh, forgiving and forget that wiping the slate clean may be a more uh, easier to understand that we just, as we read from scripture, like I said, we're not going to be able to go to where I could never testify what happened. Obviously, if I, if I dig deep enough, I'm going to remember what happened. But to be able to just wipe it from my mind to where it's not something that I think about. And also, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, we, it says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Again, we don't the environment that we hang out with is going to determine, we'll say, the, the intensity of the offenses that we have to deal with. If you hang out in bars all the time, you might get hit over the head with a beer bottle, all right? You hang out in church, your biggest offense might be that you heard something from the pulpit that you were wrong on. That, that's a lot easier to get over. Now, you're not going to have to worry about gunfire and, and, and getting stabbed or even your car being assaulted, if you hang out with the right people. Now, there are those unique situations we just mentioned. I won't go again there, but again, those might be isolated where you'll never see the person again. So to say that I have to hold on to that, it only locks you up, and it's not biblical, and it does not open you up to danger because of someone you don't even know try to stab you. Also, something to keep in mind is, is that sometimes we might be the cause of the offense. So take, for example, let's say a man is trying to kill me. And you're like, oh, that's terrible. I can understand why you wouldn't want to forgive that person. Why is he trying to kill you? Well, I'm having an affair with his wife. <laughs> All right, okay. So the problem, so you're sitting there going, well, I can't forgive him. He's tried to kill me two or three times. Have you stopped the affair? Well, no. Now that's a really extreme example but it helped bring in, hopefully, that sometimes we need to clean up our lives and then the problem that we're fearing so much just goes away. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. So in the last minutes that we have here, for those who are interested, I have a process which I have found to be semi-successful in my counseling. Now let me tell you why it's only semi-successful because sometimes they don't want to get rid of the bitterness. So if you don't want to get rid of the bitterness, you don't have to. But if you do, I do have this, Seth, do you mind passing this out for anyone who wants to? This is not something you have to fill out, it's something you can take home if you would like. If you don't want one, don't take one, leave it in the pew because Reed then gets mad at me for the trash that we leave behind. <laughs> But let's go over that handout real quick, and that's, that, that will be our, our last um, little portion of the service. First off, this is, the, we'll say, the process of pushing something out. This is the process of forgetting. Forgiving and forgetting. First off is you have to want to. We just mentioned that. This is truly, truly important. If you don't want it to happen it's not going to work. And I've actually seen this. Like I said, I use this in counseling sessions. There's nothing more needful than to get a husband and wife to learn how to forgive each other. And you got to start with their past, of course. And like I said, I've had mixed results with it because a lot of times they don't, they're not ready to let go. A lot of times, you know, you hear these people say, well, I can never forget. Yet it seems like whenever you talk about it, a lot of times you can see that they're really afraid that they will forget. So this whole forgetting thing is, is not as complicated as we like to make it because we forget a lot of stuff. We let things go all the time. If we didn't, we'd be a train wreck. So first, you have to want to. Second, and this is going to be hard for the men, the ladies I found don't do too bad on this second area, but this is real. You must recognize the feeling and the emotions that the fence caused. We do not hold, our, we do not hold bitterness because of the event. We hold bitterness because of what the event made me feel. And that's the thing that keeps popping up when, if we don't let it go, that's the thing that pops up when we're driving down the road and we have some thoughts to ourselves and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I'm I'm really mad at that person. I'm mad because of the way when I think about it, it makes me feel yuck, makes me feel angry, makes me feel afraid. All the different emotions that you could add into those offenses. The offenses is what we really hold on to. We don't like the way that the, the offense makes me feel and that's what stimulates me to not want to let it go. It stimulates me to say there has to be vengeance. And, here, and the, just to kind of confirm what I'm just saying. When I want revenge, I only want one thing out of revenge. I want you to feel how I feel. So it is, it really does, come, I know it's, it's, some people aren't going to like this, but it comes down to our emotion. We must recognize the emotions that the offense caused. Then we need to make a list of the offense and the emotions that were caused by the offense. It's not good enough just to say, John Doe, did this, and Jane did that, and this person did this, and I forgive you. Okay, we have to put down John Doe did this, and it made me feel bad. That's a good place to start. Made me feel sad. Made me feel afraid. Made me feel unvalued. Whatever it might be, you put that with the name of the offense, and then you pray the little prayer on this, on this handout let me go through with it. This is, you can change the prayer if you want. This is just my version of it, and it's just a model, but there's a, there's a couple of places here that must be here. I want to keep this small, and is the reason why I want to keep this small, is that this is not a prayer. It won't work, unless you're a very forgiving person. It won't work if you do this as a blanket thing. Well, I have Jane, and Joe, and Jack, and Jill, and everybody else. They all made me feel bad. I'm sorry. You can have them, God. It done. It won't work. <laughs> this prayer has to be repeated for each person that's on that list and the offense and the feeling that we got from the offense. And then you start over. So if your list is 20 things, you might be praying for a little while. Before I do this prayer though, let me, let me tell you something that I've discovered with myself and with others. We'll start out making a list. And sometimes I'll help those who are seeking my help to come up with this list. Not everything's going to make the list at first. Because, believe it or not, they've forgotten some things. It's easy to do. This whole thing, I can't forget. It's not that hard. But they'll make a list. Within a, a couple of weeks, What they do, what you do is you make a list. After a week of praying over this list, you crumple the list up, throw it away, and you make a brand new list. In the beginning, you might be adding some more things to it. But here's what eventually will happen. After a month or so, that list will begin to shrink. It's the most amazing thing you'll ever see or experience, and I've experienced this myself. Why does that list shrink? Because when I'm sitting down writing out my offenses, I will begin to forget things that once bothered me. Doesn't mean that if I come up and say, hey, you remember back in 92 when we did this? Oh, yeah, I remember that. But when I'm sitting down, writing out a list of people that are offended, that that have offended me, they will begin to just not be part of my frontal lobe. And I will begin to let them go. There will always be a list because there's always people that are offending you. And just like we read in the scripture here, about 70 times 7, you're going to have a couple of people that will always be offending you for the rest of your life. Again, an offense is something that they do to you that was wrong. If they're doing stuff that has nothing to do with you, you just don't like their sin nature, then that's, a pro- that's, that's, that's an issue that's really separate from this. So let's go over this prayer and then we'll begin. So we pray, Dear Father in heaven, I give Jane Doe up to you and ask that you forgive them for hitting me in the face and making me feel like less of a person And I ask that you will not lay any consequence to their charge for their wrongdoing against me. Real quick. And then you repeat this with the next person. And then you do this a couple of times a day, twice a day, once a day, at least once a day. And you will begin to find relief if you want the relief. If you find that this isn't working, the first place to go is do I really want to let things go? Do I really want a clean slate? And if, if you've you got to be honest about that. But it's important that we call the person by name because this is actually operating inside of your mind. You are setting up a belief system. You're beginning to tell yourself over and over and over that this person is no longer my issue. I gave it to God. I gave it to God like 30 times last week. He's it, not mine. And your mind will begin to believe it. And as it believes it, it will begin to drop off your list. Also, the offense is not good enough. This is really important. We're not bitter about what happened. Someone comes up and slaps me. As soon as the pain is gone and you're no longer in a dangerous area, the, the offense is over. Unless we're futuristic thinking, it may never happen again. What we hold on to is in that moment when I got slapped, I got reminded that I'm not the, the number one person in the world. I got reminded that there's people out there that could hurt me, that I'm not fully protected, and all these different feelings that come into my, my mind in that moment. Those are the things that I hold on to, and those are the things that I will hold the other person accountable for, or per se. So it is important that with the offense, we add in how the offense made me feel. And then we also give that to God. And if you're truly a Christian and have a prayer life, you will understand this last little part here. This is very important. If you leave this off, it could leave you vulnerable. And that is, is that I ask is that you're asking God, if you truly believe that your prayers are being heard and God's not just some sort of fantasy thing that my dad believed in and I'm just going to church because it's the best thing to do for me right now. If you truly are a Christian and you believe in God, then it won't take long before you realize that asking God not to judge that person Takes away your ability to judge that person, and it falls into the verse where your heart is. There, where your where your treasure is. There, will your heart be also. And this, in, in effect, saying, "Lord, don't do anything." If you, because really, you know, a lot of people tell you, "Let it go and let God deal with him." Well, that's fine. I'm not against that, and to some extent, with evil people, that's a, a good thing. But when it comes to our brothers. To be able to say, Lord, I'm not going to let it go, but I also what little influence I have, don't hurt them. You begin to fall in love with the person you hate the most. And I've already burned up too much time, so I won't continue any further. Uh, These are the thoughts I have today. I do pray that they were of some use, and uh, thank you for your time, and, and God bless you.